What if today was the day that you dared yourself to do what you've always wanted? Welcome to the I Dare You podcast. I'm your host, Jen Gottlieb. And together, we're going to step outside of our comfort zones and into our best lives one dare at a time. So come on, I dare you to dive right on in. Hello, everybody. Let's go. So super excited about what I want to talk to you guys about today, about where willpower comes from and this part of the brain that grows when you do hard things and you do things that you don't want to do. Because I've really been exploring, especially the past couple of weeks, the fact that I'm always happier when I'm doing hard shit, that the most happiness, the most fulfillment, the most joy, the most pride that I feel in myself, the most dopamine that I get in my body throughout the day, I'm always getting the most of that or I'm paying attention to when I feel my best. It's always when I've overcome something difficult or I've done something hard throughout my day, something that I don't want to do. And I'm very convinced for myself that what I'm starting to learn is that when I do hard things, like when I don't take the shortcut or I don't try to use the hack or I don't try to make it easier on myself, but I do something difficult and challenging, whether that be a hard workout or have a difficult conversation with somebody that I don't want to have, or make the phone call, or make the ask, or post the thing that I'm scared to post, or go live when I really just don't feel like it and I'm scared, or maybe create a piece of content when I'm really feeling stuck and I push through it anyway, or go for that long run when I really don't want to do it, which is very rare because I don't want, which is maybe why I should start doing it because I don't want to. But every time I do the hard thing, the thing that I don't want to do, when I get to the other side of doing that hard thing, I always feel amazing. I feel so much better on days that I do hard things than on days where I get to the end of the day and I'm like, oh, I gave myself grace today. I left my, let myself off the hook today. I gave myself grace. Like I hear people saying that a lot lately and you might not like this. There might be people here that really disagree with what I'm about to say, but that's okay. I find for myself, and this might not be for you, but this is for me, that when I let myself off the hook and I don't do the hard thing that's in front of me or I back away from the hard thing, I usually don't feel as good about myself. It kind of lingers in the back of my mind for the rest of the day or the rest of the week. Oh, I should have done it that way. I should have just done it. But when I push through and I do the hard thing, I feel on top of the world. I always feel great. So there actually is science behind this. And I was listening to a great podcast, the Huberman Lab podcast. So if you don't know Huberman, he is a a professor at Stanford University, and he has a podcast that's all science-based. So this is all like factual stuff. And he was talking about this part of the brain called, and I memorized it this morning, I was like repeating it over and over again, the anterior mid-cingulate cortex. It's the part of the brain that is responsible for willpower. And he was having a conversation with David Goggins. And if you don't know who David Goggins is, I had the pleasure of meeting David Goggins personally. Uh, he um, is Jesse Etzler wrote a book called Living with the Seal. He was the seal that he lived with. And then David Goggins became very famous for running ultra marathons. He's all about like extreme willpower, like extreme action taking. He goes to the extreme. But Kubrick's having a conversation with him. And Kubrick starts talking about this thing called the anterior mid-cingulate cortex. I keep saying it because I really want to memorize it. I really want to learn it. And it's the part of the brain that it that is basically, he said that this part of the brain that there's doing these studies, they're realizing that is the part of the brain that could be the seat of the will to live. It is the thing that increases our willpower. So they said that they've been doing studies, like there's been so many studies done about this part of the brain. And this part of the brain is larger in professional athletes. It's larger in people that have had to overcome a lot of things in their life. It's larger in people that have lived longer. 
And it's larger in cheaper type people, like people that work really hard. And he said that this part of the brain grows when you do things that you don't want to do. And he said it can't be like something hard, but you really want to do it. Like with me, I was actually thinking about it. I was like, I really want to work out. That's not hard for me. Like I want to. So that would not grow my anterior mid-cigulate cortex. It wouldn't because I enjoy doing that. But if I were to, like yesterday, I did something that I really didn't want to do that was really hard. It wasn't a workout. It was actually an ask. I asked somebody for a really, not a favor, but to do something with me to do, you'll see, you'll end up seeing it because it ended up working out really well. But I was very scared to make this ask from very scared. I didn't want to do it. It was something I really didn't want to do. It felt very difficult, very scary, very hard in the moment. But I pushed myself and I did the thing that I didn't want to do. I did. I gave myself every excuse under the sun to not have to do that thing. I was like, you can do it tomorrow or do it when you see the person, when you're in real life and that person, when you meet them, or maybe you can wait for a few more hours. And I said, no, I'm going to do the hard thing. I'm going to challenge myself. This is going to be my dare of the day. And I'm going to do the thing that I don't want to do. So every time you do something that you really don't want to do, you increase the size, apparently, and this is according to Huberman, not me. I am not a scientist. You're anterior mid-cingulate cortex, which is the part of the brain that increases your willpower or people that have large thing, large anterior mid-cingulate cortexes in their brain are people with the most willpower. So the way that you increase your willpower is simply by doing things that you don't want to do, doing hard things, doing difficult stuff. Um, maybe even it's, if it's, and they also said that people that are obese tend to have smaller anterior mid-cingulate cortexes. People that are really fit and athletes and are constantly challenging themselves have larger ones. So if that's not like the science that's approved to you, that doing the hard thing and doing the uncomfortable thing, doing the thing that you don't want to do is going to make you a happier, more fulfilled person and produce more results of success in your life and get you to the place that you want to be, I don't know what is. The unfortunate thing about that is that most people don't want to do hard things. Most people want to be comfortable. I would like to also be comfortable. I also don't want to do hard things in the moment. Of course, none of us really want to do hard things. That's why they're hard. We don't want to do them. That's it. But think about the way that you feel when you've done something difficult. Think about if you've ever done something like maybe I've never ran a marathon before, but I know people sign up for marathons again and again and again and again. And I have friends that run the New York City Marathon every single year. And every single year, they're like, I hate training for this. This is so difficult. It's so hard. I absolutely hate it. But they go and they do it again the next year. Why? Because when they cross that finish line, it feels amazing because it was such a hard task. It was something they really didn't want to do. But when they get to the other side, it's elation. It's dopamine. It's proving to yourself that you can do something difficult. And that feeling of of just satisfaction with yourself and pride within yourself that you can do hard stuff is so much better than the feeling of sitting on the couch and just staying super, super, super comfortable all the time. We were talking about this yesterday. And when I have times in my life where I'm not really moving forward a lot and I'm maybe it's, you know, a holiday time when everybody's taking off and I get into that, this, I get, I'll get into the cadence of, oh, I'm, it's intentional recovery, but it will get a little bit too far in intentional recovery. And I take a little bit too much time. And then I start to feel weirdly sad and weirdly depressed. And I believe for me, and again, this is just my experience. You might have a totally different life experience. You might actually absolutely love not doing hard things and just staying the same all the time. And that's fine. That's totally cool. I'm not even like to each his own. But for me, I am, I love that feeling of doing the hard thing. So when I, so let's go back to yesterday. 
when I reached out to this person and I asked them this really difficult question and I did this thing that I really didn't want to do. And for me, it was very scary. For some people, it might not have been, but it was for me. When I got the yes from that person, it made my entire day. Nothing else that day was hard. I was elated because I did something that was difficult. I was like, wow, I just did something hard. And that proved to me that I can move past those limiting beliefs, that I can move past the negotiating that fear does with me in the back of my mind. It tries to give me all of the reasons why I shouldn't do the hard thing. And I can do the hard thing. And when you do the hard thing, you get a great result. Maybe you don't get the result that you desired. So it it was not guaranteed that person was going to say yes to me. In fact, I thought that person was definitely going to say no. However, even if the person said no, I would have still felt great that I did the thing that I was afraid to do, that I did the scary thing, that I did the hard thing. And now I know the science behind this, that when you do things that you don't want to do, you increase the size of your anterior mid-cingulate cortex. I'm going to keep saying it because I want to remember it. You And he also said that the more that you don't do hard things, like if you get into a time in your life where you're really not challenging yourself ever and you're making things too easy and you're falling back into making excuses for things and not going to the gym or saying you're going to do things and not doing them and not following through and not doing the difficult thing, you will shrink your anterior mid-cingulate cortex. It can go, it can get smaller and therefore your willpower will decrease. That's probably why you notice that if you're not in the in the momentum of doing something, it really takes a lot to get back into that momentum. So if you haven't gone to the gym in a year, Getting back to the gym is way harder than for somebody that goes to the gym every day and just going to the gym is part of their habit, part of what they do. It takes a little bit longer because you have to grow that part of your your willpower back up. And it's so interesting to me. It's so fascinating. So that was what really what I wanted to talk about today. And this morning, I was really playing with it a lot in my workout. There was this end of my workout. So now I'm working with an online coach who programs my, my workouts just so that I don't have to plan them myself. It helps me a lot. It's a lot more fun because I'm getting challenged now by somebody that's not me. And and it's always harder when somebody else writes your workouts than when you do, because I find that when I work, write my workouts, I maybe don't challenge myself as much as I should. I'm getting these workouts written for me. And the end of this workout was like, it was five sets. So it was five sets, 10. So it was 50 burpees and hard as hell. You guys, not easy. And I had already done an hour long workout. This was like the burner at the end. And I had to do five stats of 10 burpees and 10 shoulder taps and 10 of these other freaking hard things. And I really didn't want to do it. But I had this in the back of my mind thinking about my anterior mid-cingulate cortex part of my brain. And I kept thinking, the how do I want to feel when I'm done with this workout? Because no matter what, again, this goes back to my mat moments. Those of you that follow my content or that have been here for a while, you know all about my mat moments that I do every day. And I can tell you about that in a second. But No matter how hard that workout was or that portion of the workout was, if I didn't finish it, the time was going to pass. Either way, I was going to leave the gym. If I didn't finish it, I was going to feel like shit about myself all day. When I laid on the mat, I looked up at the ceiling. I would be like, Jen, you didn't do it. You didn't stick to the commitment. You didn't follow through. You didn't finish the workout. Okay. And that discomfort that I would experience during that five minutes of that burner at the end of the workout would have gone. I would have done it and it would have gone and would have passed. Discomfort is only temporary. But the way that you feel when you get to the other side is dictated on how much you can push through that that discomfort. Well, I kept saying to myself, do the hard thing. You can do the hard thing. How do you want to feel when you lay on the mat when you're done? Do you want to feel proud of yourself like you did something difficult, like you grew your 
anterior mid-cingulate cortex a little bit. Like you did the hard thing. You The first part of your day was a win because you sat through that discomfort and you achieved it and you got to the other side and you proved to yourself that you did hard things. Or do I want to lay on the mat and do I want to be like, shit, I wasn't able to sit through that temporary discomfort and I gave up on myself. And then everything else during that day, I bet you I would just be thinking about that. And for me, my happiness is very much, this is for me, the way that I feel about myself throughout the day, my joy, my happiness, my fulfillment is very much related to the amount of things that I can move through throughout that day that are hard. And that's not saying I like hard things suck. Doesn't make them any better. They suck. Like working out like that end of that workout, it was not fun. I didn't enjoy it. I wasn't enjoying when I was doing it. There are parts of my workout that I enjoy doing that I did not enjoy. It sucked. There are really shitty things that happen in life that absolutely suck, that are hard. And I'm not going to I'm not going to say that they're great because they're not. However, I will say that the person that you become on the other side of that hard thing, the person that can move through that difficult time, because time doesn't stop. It keeps going no matter what. So you will move through it eventually. Whatever it is that you're dealing with that's difficult, it will you will eventually get to your bed that night. You'll get to the next day. You'll get to a week later, a month later, a year later, 10 years later. And there were some things that happened in 2022 and 2023 that many of you know, I always say, oh, I don't talk about this yet. And I can talk about the fact that these things happened that were really unbelievably challenging and traumatic. And I was actually on a therapy session last night with my therapist. And we were talking about this a lot because... We were talking about all of the reasons why I can shift my relationship with all of those things that happened. It doesn't make those things that happened any better. Those things that happened fucking sucked and they were terrible. But what is my relationship with that? What is my perspective of what happened? Because now I can look back and I can say, wow, I proved to myself just how strong I am and how resilient I am. And now next time something happens, I know how resilient I am. I know how strong I am. And I learned so much about life and about the way things work and about the way things are totally, completely uncertain. Things that I just didn't know that I needed to know that I learned from that experience didn't make the experience any more fun. But I became a stronger person. I became a more equipped person. I became a, I guess my my anterior midstigulate cortex grew a little bit from all of those experiences. And I couldn't have told you that in the moment. And it doesn't make any of that any easier on me. And I still have anxiety and cry sometimes and have hard moments of from that. But what is my relationship with all of this? My relationship with all of this is that, wow, I can be, I'm a stronger person now as a result. I am a more equipped person as a result. I'm a wiser person as a result. If that never happened to me, I'd probably still be in the same way of thinking without all these experiences. And I would still be in the exact same place where I was before as far as emotional and mental growth. I'm afraid to make asks. I wanted to end 2023 with making a few sales. I made zero. Asked 10 people I know, one person I didn't know. I was scared. Who do I ask? How do I ask better? Okay, again, I will do my little PSA here. I will never give anybody direct advice because I don't know enough about you and your situation to give you advice. And nor do I know the only one way to do anything because there's not one way to do anything. There's a zillion ways to do everything. You have to find the way that's going to work the best for you. But I can share with you my personal experience and how I learned how to ask for help. And there is an entire section in BC, and you're in luck because there's an entire section called How to Become a Master Asker in this book. So go get it. Okay. It's, and if you don't, if you have it and you haven't read that section yet, go skip and read that section. But How to Become a Master Asker. Okay. 
Here's what the question, how I reframe it for myself. Yesterday, I made a huge ask to somebody that I was so scared to ask. It was a big ask. It was somebody that I didn't know that well. I was scared. I made it a dare of the day for myself. There was a gigantic possibility that person would say no. Um, and I, I made it my dare of the day. And if you've read BC, the book, just in case you guys still don't know what that is, you'll know how important dare of the days are for me and how that's how I challenge myself to do hard things. So once something is a dare of the day for me, it's a non-negotiable that I have to do it no matter how scary it is. However, it doesn't make it any less scary. I was fucking scared. I didn't want to make that ask. But here is the refrain that I reframe that I give myself when I'm making asks. I ask myself, how do I feel when somebody that I care about or somebody that I like or somebody that I admire asks me for my help? How do you feel? When somebody asks you for help and you're able to help them. I don't know about you, but I feel amazing when somebody that I care about asks me for help and I'm able to help them. I feel so seen. I feel so important. I feel so valued. And I feel just so fantastic that somebody thought of me that I could help them with that problem. And then if I'm able to help them, I feel even better because I was able to provide value to somebody else. And that's one of the greatest areas in the entire world, being able to help somebody. So every time that you don't ask somebody for help, this is specifically asking for help, not asking for the sale. We can talk about that later, but asking for help. Every time you don't ask somebody for help, even though you're thinking about asking them, you're removing a really fantastic opportunity for that person to feel seen and valued and loved by you and to feel really amazing being able to help you. It feels good to help others. And when people are being asked to help, they feel awesome. And I'll give you another example of that in my life. I have one of my best friends is a very well-known, renowned doctor. Doctor to very famous, important, big people in the world. And she's just amazing. Now, I always get nervous to ask her about health stuff. I get nervous to ask for her help, even though she's my best friend, even though she tells me all the time that I should ask her because she loves it. She had to sit me down and say to me, listen, the way that I feel good every day is when I'm able to help my friends and people that I care about. This is how I feel good. This is, it is, it, it's the way that you can show me your friendship and your love is by asking me to help you and letting me help you. And that was so uncomfortable for me and so difficult for me to understand and wrap my head around because I still felt like I was a burden. I didn't want to ask for help, but it honestly made her feel so seen and valued and important and loved every time she was able to help me with something that I needed. And what ended up happening is that when I started to get over that and realize that, I started helping her and, or sorry, she started being able to help me and then I would really want to help her as well. And we just created this really beautiful symbiotic relationship where we were just helping each other with our superpowers all the time. So the number one way to make someone feel amazing is to give them an opportunity to feel seen and heard and valued and loved and often somebody that has some kind of superpower or some kind of really amazing um, skill or, or they've got an opportunity or they've got a situation where they can be a, they can help you allowing them to help you is actually in a lot of in a lot of scenarios giving them a really great gift allowing them to feel seen allowing them to feel important allowing them to feel needed by you and making them feel really great for being able to help you i love helping people it makes me feel amazing and i, I love it when my friends ask me for help like when my friends text me and they're like, I need your help with something, I'm like, yes. So that's how I reframe getting over my fear of asking people for help. It doesn't make the initial ask any easier. 
it's always kind of nerve wracking and scary. But let's go back again to what we were talking about in the beginning about the anterior mid cingulate cortex, my big fancy word that I have just learned. Thank you, Dr. Huberman. Uh, but that grows when you do things you don't want to do. And that is the key to willpower. This part of your brain, apparently, is the bigger that it is, the more willpower you create. And so the more you do things that you don't want to do, you feel that fear, you feel that discomfort, you feel the fact that you don't want to do it and you do it anyway, the more willpower you end up creating because the larger that portion of your brain becomes if you do it again and again. Again, this is something that I recently learned. So I'm still playing with how to talk about it and how to communicate about it, which is why I'm practicing here on Instagram Live. But stay tuned for more on that because it's very interesting to me. Now let's talk about the other part of your question, Kimmy, which is sales. I always flip everything with sales. I love to ask for the sale because I'm not asking for anything. If you believe in your offer and you know that the thing that you provide is amazing and it gets people really great results and it's fantastic and you fully believe in it, you're not asking anybody to buy anything. You're inviting people into an amazing opportunity that's exciting and incredible and could help them. And if you truly believe that the thing that you're offering really does provide value to people and it really does help people immensely and you know that if they exchange money for the service that you are providing or the product that you're providing, they are going to get a result that fixes their problem that's going to be so much ROI. They're going to be so thrilled and so happy. You're not asking them to buy anything. You're inviting them into an opportunity fix their problem. And I unfortunately and fortunately, sales is all about the follow-up. The sale happens at the no. Most people will say no the first time in any sales situation. Most people will say no the first time. It, and I know this is just such a broken record statement to make, the fortunes and the follow-up. But let me just tell you, I could tell you for me, when people are selling me things and I'm buying somebody's service or I'm buying somebody's product, I usually don't buy it on the first sales call. I usually say no. It, it's not because I don't want the thing. It's not because of any other reason other than I just always resist something Im immediately. And I always, I don't know why, it's just a thing in our brain. People don't like to be sold, but they like to buy things. Let me repeat that. People don't like to be sold, but they like to buy things. So if you've got a, a thing that's amazing that helps somebody with their problem and they absolutely know that they need it and they sought you out or you've had a conversation and you've both come to terms with the fact that person really could use the thing that could fix their problem, they're probably going to say no in the beginning. They're going to say they need to talk to their spouse. They're going to say that they need a little bit more time to think about it. They're going to say that they don't have enough time right now or they don't have the money right now or they want to get back to you. That's just the way that the human brain works. That's the way that sales usually happens. And good salespeople are relentless with the follow-up. People have had to follow up with me again and again and again and again in order for me to finally say, oh, yeah, 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 I forgot about that. Let's do it. it it's just what it is. And in order to be um, really great with the follow-up, you got to really believe in your offer. Because I find that the people that don't follow up are the people that don't necessarily really believe that their offer will help. Because if you take this entire situation and you flip it on its head, and you're no longer selling your product, okay? You're no longer selling your service. You are recommending your favorite movie of all time, okay? This is your best friend, and your best friend is, I'm bored at night. I need a great movie that I can watch with my husband, uh, okay? Like, that's your friend says that, I need a great movie, all right? They, they have a problem, and you can solve the problem because you have the most amazing movie, and you know that this person is gonna love the movie, I know for a fact that I've had friends that have followed up with me 
so many times about watching specific movies because they love them. And I'm like, if you only sold your products and services the way that you're trying to sell me this movie, you would be doing real well in your business. People love to recommend things that don't directly relate to possibly being rejected or being vulnerable enough to for somebody to say no to you for something that you've created or that you're offering. It's like an uncomfortable, weird thing. But what if you were just to flip it around and think that you're recommending your favorite Netflix show, you're recommending your favorite movie, you're recommending your favorite restaurant, you're recommending the greatest doctor in your city that you know that this person needs to go see because they're going to help them so much. People get so passionate about that and they'll follow up again and again about those things, but they won't follow up about their product or service. Okay, let's talk about becoming a better writer. I'm going to go back to what I always say when it comes to becoming better at anything. We get good at what we practice. You have to practice. You have to write. In order to become a great writer, unfortunately, you've got to write a lot of really bad things. And there is a book. This is not the book I'm going to recommend, but this is a great book about writing called By Bird by Anne Lamott. Great book. And that's this. she talks a lot about writing a shitty first draft and just allowing your writing to be really shit allowing it to be terrible and just getting it onto the paper and just writing and writing. There's also a book called The Artist's Way that talks about morning pages. And morning pages are basically like taking a pen and writing whatever's on your mind, even if it doesn't make any sense, for three pages. And just writing and writing and writing, even if it's an and or saying the same word again and again. Because it just gets you to be unfiltered and just write with without feeling like anybody's judging it. And She talks about writing like one section at a time and allowing it to be the shittiest version of that thing ever and then going back in and editing it and then going back in and editing it and then going back in and editing it. And practicing writing makes you a better writer. That's number one. Number two, the way that I wrote my book is that I envisioned that I was talking to someone because I'm not a great writer. I think I'm a good writer. I don't think I'm a great writer, but I'm a great communicator and speaker. So for me, I'm self-aware enough to know that I need to speak or, or speak my words into my book. And I need to think about the person I'm speaking to because I don't ever get writer's block when I'm just having a conversation. When we're here doing Instagram Live and you guys are asking me a question and I'm answering it, I don't really get writer's block or speaker's block. Like I don't stop and not know what to say because I'm focusing on you and I'm answering your question. So when I was writing Be Seen, what I did was I envisioned that there was somebody, a girl that I created in my mind that was sitting across from me asking me questions and I was just answering them and talking to her. That's why many of you read the book and you often tell me, oh my God, Jen, I feel like we're friends, like you're just talking to me. The book is written in my voice like I'm speaking because that's how I wrote it. And that really helps for writing. Just thinking about the acronym HOPE, help one person every day, thinking about the person that's reading the book and just pouring into them and giving them advice and providing value and talking to them without worrying about what you sound like or if it sounds good enough or if someone's going to like it or not. Just give them, just speak to them the way that you would speak to them if you were out to dinner with a friend. And that helps. Last but not least, the book that I want to recommend to you that I'm reading again for the second time is The Creative Acts by Rick Rubin. Phenomenal. Phenomenal for any type of artist, entrepreneur, um, writer, author, anyone creating anything. The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. Oh, It's blowing my mind. Everybody, please, you can listen to it on Audible and then you can read it. I actually recommend now that I have the physical copy because I rarely do this when I listen to books. I rarely want the physical copy. But when I was listening to this book, I kept thinking I really want the physical copy because there's a bunch of poems and quotes that I really wanted to just be able to go back and revisit and read and look at often. 
And it's a beautiful book. The physical book is actually gorgeous. So I would highly recommend if you are wanting to create anything, whether that be a podcast or a YouTube channel or content on Instagram or TikTok or write a book or create a keynote speech or create a new business idea. The Creative Act is a phenomenal book all about creativity. And if you don't know who Rick Rubin is, he's worked with some of the biggest musicians of all time and created some of the most iconic music ever. Yeah, some of the biggest bands of all time work with Rick Rubin for him to get their creativity out of them. And he puts all of his tips and tools in this book. It's really great. I'm loving it. Let's talk about this. I have the wrong audience for what I have pivoted since I have multiple businesses. How do I bring new audience in and not lose the current one? That makes sense to me. So I'm going to go back to what we were talking about yesterday with um, leveraging other people's audiences. There is also for mastermind members that are in here, my favorite training that I ever did about this is all about message pivoting. And I used to be a personal trainer and I used to be in the wellness space. And I used to only talk about food and exercise and stuff like that. And I pivoted into what I'm pivoting now. I'm sure I'm going to continue to evolve and pivot into talking about different things again and again. And the way that I do that is is two ways. Number one, I slowly start connecting the dots of the story. So I will, I'll start creating content like this. I'll just give you an example. I was on a TV show on VH1 for five years. It was all about heavy metal music. And I don't like heavy metal music. For those of you that know my story... It was just a moment in time in my life that was both one of the greatest times in my life with the most learning and the most growth and also one of the hardest, most difficult times in my life as well because I was hiding behind this fake version of myself that wasn't really me. And I was living in an authentic life for a very long time. Um, However, it was a really important part of my life and I have a lot of followers from that time in my life. I don't know if I still do, but I did when when I wrote this one post that I'm going to tell you about. And it also gave me a lot of credibility that I was on TV. So I wanted to share about it. So I create what I call dot connecting content. And dot connecting content tells the story of where you were and incorporates where you are going or where you are now. Uh, I really truly believe that your start is your story or your mess is your message or where you came from and what you used to do is what makes you really unique in what you do now. So all of the dots always connect. And I will never throw away my story of being on VH1 or being in the health and fitness space. Because all of those parts of me of the things I used to talk about and the things that I used to do are part of my evolution and part of my story and part of what makes me different and unique. So I don't want you to throw, or I wouldn't, if I were you, throw anything away from your past because that's what makes you different. That's what, that's so interesting. Think about all the people that we admire or the content that we like to listen to, the people that we like to watch and learn about or learn from. They all have a really cool story of where they started and it's usually never where they ended up. Oh my gosh, this person started, you know, like... I really I'm listening to Andrew Huberman a lot and he was dropped out. He got kicked out of school and was like in a juvenile detention center and he was a skateboarder and he was squatting in different apartments. And then he ended up getting his Ph.D. and now is like one of the top podcasters in the world and is a a professor at Stanford. So that's a fascinating story. It's a dot connecting story. It's I understand how or I want to understand how he went from point A to point B. Some of the content that I would create is I created a piece of content a while ago that was like, what I learned about entrepreneurship from being on TV for five years. Or part of my keynote speech that I give talks about what I learned from my experience being on Broadway. I was in the Broadway national tour of The Wedding Singer. I traveled all around the world performing at the Broadway show. And one of the biggest stories that I tell in my keynote is basically about entrepreneurship and what I learned, though, from my experience of getting that role. 
from my experience of having to persevere and not getting it. And then finally getting the understudy and then all of the things that I learned from that entire process that brought me to where I am today. So that's one of the ways that I would start to incorporate your old audience into your new audience. It's basically telling that connecting stories of how you're transitioning from there to here and allow the audience to evolve and transition with you. And the other way that I would do it is to leverage other people's audiences that have the audience that you're wanting to grow. So let's say I was in the health and wellness space and I wanted to transition into the overall personal development space. I would try to get on podcasts or I would try to collaborate with people that were more in the personal development space, that were more in the mindset space so that I could tap into that audience. Because when you leverage other people's audiences and you are seen as a credible force from somebody that people already know and trust, then you're going to gain people that are interested in you for that. Here's another great example. I'm going to give a totally random ass example, but let's say you were a yoga expert that wants to transition into now cooking and being a a chef and like doing food TikTok videos and stuff like that, having an audience around your recipes and your food. So what I would do if I was a yoga instructor that was transitioning into food is I would tell a lot of dot connecting stories of how, you know, whenever I practice yoga, when I would get done with yoga, I would want to eat something really healthy. So I started creating this one really amazing recipe, XYZ, and here's how you do it. Right. And then start, you know, oh, I connected that I was a yoga instructor and now I'm talking about food and cooking healthy food. Then the other thing that I would do is I would research all of the other maybe cooking chefs or like food Instagrammers or TikTokers that are like food bloggers. And I would create relationships with those people and I would see if I could collaborate with them and get in front of their audience. Maybe do uh, an Instagram live or a TikTok live or a YouTube video where we're cooking together or get on their podcast or have them on my podcast or do an interview or do a a collaborated blog post about two different, what are they called, recipes that we both love. So that would be an example of how I would do that if I were you. I have an incredible business, doing well, and I feel like something is missing. Uh, Just like you said in your book before Chris asked you to partner with him. Yeah, how do I tap into what's missing? So right before I became business partners with my, he was my then boyfriend, now husband, where I was, I had a great business. I was doing really well, really for me then, making good money, making an impact. Uh, I, I enjoyed my business. I enjoyed my clients. But I just felt this weird underlying feeling of this isn't it. Something is missing. And I didn't necessarily know what it was. I, I could kind of feel it when you're a performer. So I'm a performer at heart. And I was an actress for basically the entire my entire life leading up to me becoming an entrepreneur. And I knew that if you're not doing your creative act, if you're not doing the thing that is in your heart, like for me, performing was such a big part of who I was and I wasn't really doing it, it can start to nag at you. And I didn't really know that was it. But when I would watch Chris on stage speaking, I would feel it and I would be like, oh, there's so there's something more and I don't know what it is. It's just there's something more for me and this isn't it. But I could not, still, I couldn't put my finger on it. I still couldn't say, oh, I want to be a speaker and I want to write books. I had no freaking idea. Oh, I want to own a company or I want to start a PR agency. I had no freaking idea. And there's things I'm going to be, projects I'm going to be working on this year that I had absolutely no idea I would ever want to do ever in a million years or know that it was the thing that was missing. And that's the cool thing about life is we don't always know and you don't have to know. And it kind of, The dots always connect when you look backwards. But the only way that I found for me that the dots wouldn't connect would be if I didn't take action and try things and if I wasn't open enough to try things. And I remember the time in my life when I was the most stuck. The time in my life when I was the most stuck was when I was the most most obsessed with staying safe. 
and obsessed with keeping things the same and really afraid to shake things up and afraid to try things. And I was the ultimate perfectionist. And I thought that this was great. I thought that this was like, oh, I go to bed every night at the same time. I eat the exact same thing every single day. I am never late for my clients. I, you know, like I don't shake things up at all. And I was like so obsessed with, and I talk about this in the book a lot, like um, with structure. I was really structured. And the problem with that was I wasn't allowing anything into my life to shake things up. I wasn't allowing myself to see the things that I couldn't see, to feel the things that I couldn't, that maybe I needed to feel in order to see what was missing or in order to dip my toe into something and try something new to figure out, oh, this is what it is. And it wasn't until I really allowed myself to let go and start to explore and try new things and let go of that structure, which is really hard for people that are overachievers and perfectionists. I found for myself, it was really hard for me to let go and start to try things that I wasn't necessarily that good at. But when I started to let go, when I started to try, oh my God, getting on a stage and speaking for the first time, and wow, that felt interesting. What if I did that again? And and trying, oh, I'm going to expand my business a little bit and do something that I'm not really necessarily certain that I could be really good at, but I'm going to try it, even though I might not be that great at it. And having the courage to fail and having the courage to mess up and having the courage to try something, even though I don't really know what the outcome is going to be, that's where I started to get clear. Clarity often follows action, not the other way around. So the cool thing about life is that no matter what, if you fail or you mess up, at least you tried. And this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. I would so much rather try and do the hard thing and fail and be like, I tried. I freaking did that and feel that feeling of, yes, I tried. I tried. I learned a lot from that. It didn't work. But now I'm a little bit closer to knowing what I do want because I know what I don't want or I know what doesn't work. And I get a little bit more clear on who I am. But if you're always just so structured all the time, and this was where I was stuck for a while, you never really find that clarity because you're not trying things and figuring things out and allowing yourself to mess up and allowing yourself to win. And either way, no matter what, the day ends. The day ends, you're going to end up in your bed. You're going to end up in your bed at night, every single night. And my question that I'm always asking myself when I'm writing down my wins is, did I show up in a way that made me proud today? Did I try new things today? Did I allow myself to fail today? Did I put myself out there and do hard things today? Did I do hard things that I feel proud of that I did, like that were scary, that were uncomfortable, that I didn't know what the outcome was going to be? As long as I'm always doing that, I'm always learning. And then when you start doing that and you just allow yourself to let go, a lot of things start to fly in that you don't even recognize. Like, what is this? Okay. And it's almost like letting go of trying. I listened to a podcast the other day and he was talking about letting go of the tiller. And the tiller is on ships. It's the thing that drives the ship, the tiller. And if you're gripping too hard on the thing that drives your life, like you're so hard gripping, trying to control everything, you're going to miss things. So for me, part of my goal for this year is allowing evolution. Evolution is one of my words of the year and allowing myself to evolve and allowing myself to let go of the tiller a little bit, allowing myself to go off course a little bit or go, you know, try something new. And I am trying a couple of new projects this year that scare the shit out of me. And, and believe me, fear is, fear is rocking my world telling me why I shouldn't do them in a lot of ways. But I know even, even if I fail at the thing that I'm going to try that I've never done before, at least I'm going to say that I tried and I learned. And I learned something about myself, whether that be I learned something about myself. I'm not very good at that thing. Or I learned that I could try this thing and it didn't work out, but it led me towards this new thing. At least I can say I did the hard fucking thing. But if I always stay safe and I don't do the hard thing and I always do the easy route and I always try for the hack and I always just sit back and allow life to go and just me kind of be a passenger seat instead of taking the wheel, then I'm always going to be a little bit unfulfilled and feel like something's missing. So again, this is my experience and the best way that I could help you is by sharing my experience with you. But I hope that you got something out of that.
All right, guys, I love you. If you loved this, um, tell somebody about it. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the I Dare You podcast. I'm so grateful you chose to spend this time with me, but I'm even more grateful for your future self that you are building one dare at a time. So my first dare for you is to subscribe to the show and then share it with a friend who you think needs to step a little bit more outside their comfort zone and into their best lives. They'll thank you for it. I'll see you next time on the I Dare You podcast.